got what appears to be a dynamite sound. I am a blessed man of God, and the Lord has blessed me to do the things that I do. And so nothing just happens in my life. Ahmaud Arbery, Sean Reed, Tamir Rice, Eric Gardner, Oscar Grant, Michael Brown, Freddie Gray, Dante Parker, Walter Scott. I could go on and on and on. I could sit here for an hour reading names, giving you information about each and every single one of them. Black men shot and killed with no one ever really convicted or arrested or even held accountable for the murder. But the fact remains with each and every single one of them. Black men are hunted in America. We are under attack. I don't care if you don't see it. I don't care if you don't want to accept it. The fact remains the same, that if you are black in America, there's a target on your back, especially if you are a black male. There are black women being murdered, black men, black children, but for the black man, it is so hard in America, where no matter what we do in life, there is a target on our back. No matter what we do in America, we are always seen and looked at as if we are always up to something, as if we can't be equal, as if there's no way we could be doing something right. We can't be doing something legal. It's always an issue. It's always that preconceived notion in the back of everyone's heads and minds. Black men being shot and killed by officers, people who are sworn to protect, people who are supposed to be the answer to crime, not the facilitator. I'm, I'm grieved because me as a black man, in society, they see me and the first thing they see about me is the color of my skin. They don't see the fact that I'm a father. They don't see the fact that I'm a brother. They don't see the fact that I'm a functioning member of society. They don't see the fact that I have two children. They don't see, they don't see none of that. They see a black man. Whether they want to accept it or not, that's what they see. And the fact is, some that see me like that, most that see me like that, have this deep down desire and hatred for the person who I am. My brothers, my sisters, we're all looked at like that. Now, there are some good people that love and, and treat everyone equally, and they, they don't have that racist jive in them. They don't have that prejudiceness in them. But a lot of them, a lot of them, a lot of people, especially people with power, people with position, that's how they operate. It grieves me and it, it saddens me knowing that I could just be minding my own business, taking a walk outside, barbecuing in a park, driving my car, obeying the law, and there's a slim chance that I might not make it home. I might not be able to see my children. My children might have to grow up in a country where the father is gunned down by law enforcement or citizens who are thinking that they're doing the right thing. And the worst part is those murderers most likely will never see trial. My son is a black man. My daughter is a black woman. My son and my daughter will grow up already at a disadvantage. My son especially being a black man in America. And that when we, when we talk about these matters, when we say things, when we, when we say black lives matter, where our voice is being silenced, saying black lives shouldn't matter, all lives should matter. We understand that and I get that. Trust me, all lives do matter. But right now in America, we need you to know that black lives matter because we don't see, we don't see anyone saying that we matter. You might, you know, in your head say, oh, yeah, of course, black lives matter. But when you don't speak against social injustices, when you don't say something, when you don't defend those who are being oppressed, you might as well be a part of the oppressors. So black lives matter. Black men, we matter. Black women, you matter. Black children, you matter. 
Because this country is not painting the picture to tell you that you matter. We say black women are beautiful. And there's always someone shouting, no, all women are beautiful. That may be true. But right now I want to celebrate black women. We say black men are, are, are great. All men are great. Well, I'm focusing on the black men. Because until this country as a whole can acknowledge the excellence in the black society and treat us on par with how everyone else is treated, then I'm still going to be shouting out black lives matter. Black men are strong. Black women are beautiful. Because the, this country is not painting that picture. We're not growing up being told that. Look at the commercials. Look at the beauty commercials and the runways and these movies, you know, growing up. The white woman is always the most beautiful woman. You know, they, 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 they hype her up, the light complexion, the long hair, the light eyes, the green eyes, the blue eyes. And when you look at the most handsome man in America every year, it was the Brad Pitts, you know, it was the George Clooney's, the Pierce Brosnan's. It was never the black man that looked like me. You know, little black girls growing up, they, they never seen themselves on television. They seen Angelina Jolie. They seen Jennifer Aniston. They didn't see themselves. So this country doesn't see us as equals. They see us as the afterthought. Hey, we can use you to push our cause, but you can never be in our shoes. So until then, until then, I and hundreds and thousands of more like me will continue to have the same cause and the same agenda because all I want in America is equality. All I want is my children to grow up with a fair chance, a fair shot. I want my kids to be looked at for their accomplishments and how they benefit society. Not looked at as black children, a black man, a black woman. I want them to be looked at on how they contribute to the environment around them, which is how everyone should be looked at. It should you should be praised for how you benefit society. You should only be, you know, put in a box or you know looked at in a negative way if you were negatively impacting the society around you. Simple. That's how it should be. The content of their character, not the color of their skin. Dr. King. That's how society should be. America of all places. We pride ourselves on being this melting pot, you know, where everyone can come to. You know, everyone can come and, you know, we, we're welcoming. That, that's how America is supposed to be perceived. But in reality, we're not like that. We're a country where we get mad and upset if somebody is speaking Spanish and doesn't understand English. And I hear this argument all the time. Well, if you come to America, you need to speak English. It's ignorant because America doesn't have an established like language. You know, most countries, you know, they have a, a set language that, you know, if you go to France, their national language is French. You go to Germany. Well, surprise, their national language is German. Um, that's how it is in most countries. America doesn't have that. We don't have an established language because we're supposed to be a country that's welcoming to everyone. So I'm not going to get upset with someone who doesn't speak English. That's dumb. That makes no sense. That's anti-American. Some people swear they're so American, they're so patriotic, and are upset whenever they go somewhere and they're stuck behind someone and they're trying to communicate, but the person doesn't understand them. That's not their issue. That's not their fault. That's no one's fault. It's America. That's how we are. It's a melting pot. Learn to adapt. You know, people get so upset at that. I, I don't understand the frustration. And then I also hate whenever people are ridiculed for barely speaking English. You know, they're and then they're they're ridiculed and mocked as if they're not bright or they're not smart individuals. It takes a pretty pretty smart person to be able to balance two languages. I know some people who speak like four or five languages and it's amazing. 
And Americans pride themselves. We pride ourselves on being so smart, so intelligent, and we can barely speak the English language. But we want to ridicule and mock somebody because they're having trouble speaking English when they're refugees from Cuba, they're refugees from Mexico, they come to this country. But it's it's that racial dominance where you think you're better than someone because you're lighter than someone. I'm telling you, that's not how it is. So getting back to my main topic about black men and black women in America being persecuted still to this day. I won't be quiet about it. Others won't be quiet about it because it sucks because I identify with them. I see myself in them. You know, here's another little story since you guys enjoy stories about my past so much. I was 16. My mom had just died when I was 15. I moved in with my aunt, my uncle, um, when I was uh, 16. They're they're white, you know, they're down south, you know, Florida, you know, they're, you know, they're white people, cool people, you know, decent people, real good individuals. Um, I was riding through um, the backcountry roads with one of my cousins one night. He's older. He's like six, seven years older than me. Um, again, at the time, I'm 16. So he's in his early 20s, mid 20s, somewhere around there. And um, it's late at night. I mean, it's pitch black. I mean, darkness. And we're in the backcountry roads. For those who don't know, backcountry roads don't have any power. There's no light poles. You know, there's houses. I mean, it's not, this isn't like 1860, but there's no light poles. There's no light. There's no crossroad intersections. There's not much traffic. It's, if you're on there late at night, you might come across one other car driving around, might be a four wheeler or two, might be a little buggy, but there's not much traffic. So we're driving, we're cutting through and I'm in the passenger seat again, 16 years old. I just barely got my, like my license or whatever. He's driving, we're going all of a sudden out of nowhere, red and blue lights come in the rearview mirror. So I'm like, you know, chill, not thinking anything of it. You know, I, I haven't done anything wrong. He hasn't done anything wrong. You know, cop comes to the window, comes to my window. And again, I'm in the passenger seat. Asks me, my name tells me to get out of the vehicle. My cousin is told to stay in the vehicle. The cop pulls me out, grabs me by my arm, puts me on the back of the car or on the back of the trunk of my cousin's trunk. Goes through my pockets. He's frisking me, going up my legs, down my back, going in my pockets, asking if I had any weapons or drugs. I'm like, sir, nah, man, I, I don't have any of that. That's, you know, that's not me. You know, now I'm getting a little nervous. You know, I'm starting to shake a little bit. He can tell I'm getting nervous. So I guess he just naturally assumed that I was hiding something. So then uh, he goes to his car, radios somebody. And then within two or three minutes, another squad car pulls up. Now, let me paint this picture. It's about 1 a.m. It's a winter night. It's cold outside. There's no lights. Only thing in the sky or only lights are the, the moon in the sky, the stars. Um, no one around, no passing vehicles, no houses, nothing. Only three other people besides myself are there. It's the two officers and my cousin who's in the passenger seat, all of which are white. So I'm the only black dude in this situation. Nothing's around except there's a canal, you know, and everything else is woods and emptiness. So the other cop comes and starts searching me, asking for my name, takes my little driver permit, runs my information. They go in the car, they go through the seat where I was sitting, go through the door, go through the glove box, anywhere I could have reached from the passenger seat, bound to deter bound and determined to find something. They're looking for whatever they could find. Never gave us a reason as to why we were pulled over or anything. Um, so comes out, you know, I don't have a record at the time. I didn't have anything on file. I didn't have any drugs on me. I didn't have any weapons on me. Um, cop grabs my arm, pushes me off to the side. They get in their car. They drive off. I was terrified towards the end. When that second cop came, I was terrified. Now, this is, you know, 10 plus years ago. So it wasn't as, you know, there was black people getting shot, of course. But to me, it wasn't an issue that I knew much about at the time. 
now I look in hindsight, you know, like now knowing what I know now, like that situation could have been extremely, you know, tense. And, you know, I complied. I did everything the cops were asking me. But I see videos, too, of black men complying to police officers and getting shot for far less. So now I look back and I'm like, why? Why Why was I pulled out of a vehicle when I wasn't driving? I was underage. There was no reason for the cops to ever harass me like that. But they did. Never gave us a reason as to why we were pulled over. But that situation always sticks in my head. I, I'm haunted by that because it's like, why? Why are we doing this? Why are you doing that? Like, what? If you had pulled us over for a certain reason, why not frisk my cousin, who was a grown man who was driving? I'm a child in the passenger seat of a vehicle, not doing anything. The music wasn't even loud. I, 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 to this day, I cannot figure out why we were pulled over. But that's the society we live in. There's no cameras around there. There's, there's no witnesses. So, God forbid, if I would have been shot and killed, the story would have been, the narrative would have been, oh, well, he attacked us. I felt threatened for my life. And there's no witnesses to testify. This is my cousin. But are they going to take my cousin's word over two police officers? Of course not. Of course not. And if you say, well, yeah, they would, then you're lying to yourself. Because look at all these witness testimonies and video evidence we have against cops today. And yet cops, these certain cops are still walking around scot-free. So it's a bad society. It's a bad part to live in. It's a bad time to be alive um, with cops out there like this. But I still believe there is a hope. There is a chance. There is a, 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 um, a slimmer of hope on the horizon. If we can get more, and I, you know, some people are going to hate this, but if we can get more cops that look like us, maybe we can fix that narrative. And again, this, every cop isn't bad. You know, I don't I don't want, you know, people to listen to this and think I'm anti-police. I'm anti-hatred and I'm anti-racism. I'm anti-prejudiceness. I'm not anti-cops. I believe there are some good officers out there. I, I can't imagine that of all the police officers in the country, there's not a handful, if not more, good cops. But in my experience, I haven't met too many good cops. I've met cops who have abused power. I've met cops who have a superiority complex. I've met cops who think they're more dominant than someone else, and that's an issue. But I think if we had more officers that look like us, more officers that look like me, more officers that look like my son, more officers that look like my brother, my neighbor, you know, my family, if we had that, I think we would feel more comfortable with police officers. Not saying that even our own skin folk ain't you know can can mess up and make some horrible decisions, but I just that's the only thing I can think of. Maybe that would make people more comfortable with police officers. But until there's a change, until even the white officers can hold their their fellow officers accountable, and 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 say something in the face of injustice, nothing will change. There's a movie, Crash, came out I don't know ten maybe twelve years ago. Good movie, dope film. Most people don't like it. I enjoy it. I love it. I think I got an Oscar. Um, there's a cop, you know, there's an officer. These are two, two white officers. Uh, one officer kind of like abuses his power. He like, you know, gropes a black woman at a, at a, at a stop. You know, he's racist himself and his other, his partner, you know, it didn't sit right with him. You know, of course he like demands, you know, to, to, you know, get a new partner and kind of like be on his own. Um, so I use that as an example cause that's a start. Like, you know, of course that cop goes on and kills a black guy. It's Long story short, go see this movie. Really good movie, Crash. If you haven't seen it yet, spoiler alert, you know, if I spoil the movie, but it's a good film. It's over 10 years old, so if you're mad I spoiled it, that's on you. Man up, suck it up. Um, but my point was, that cop stood up in the face of injustice in a way by demanding, you know, bringing light to a situation. If we have more of that going forward where cops see something that's wrong, we need to speak up on it. But it's also in the black society, we need to hold ourselves more accountable too. 
You know, we, we do have a lot of black on black killing. We do have a lot of black on black crime. And I think the reason why a lot of other people don't respect our cries for help because it looks as if we don't care about ourselves. If we started caring for one another, holding each other up, holding each other accountable, trying to bring justice to the forefront in our own communities, just maybe, maybe that would rub off on others. You know, there are black men, black children, black women who are raped and murdered in the black community on alarm at alarming rates. And we have this code where I can't say something because it's snitching. Well, I can't say something because then I'm going to look like a rat. I'm going to tell you right now, if somebody harms my son, somebody harms my daughter, somebody harms somebody I know and care about and love, and I have information that can lead to them not only being arrested but justice being served, then I have to speak on that. I'm sorry. It, there's no street code that trumps family. There's no, there's no code that, that is more strong and more powerful than justice for my own family members. I, I couldn't see that. I can't walk, I can't fathom walking around with that mentality, knowing this man raped my mother or this man murdered my sister or this man harmed my brother. But I can't say anything because the streets will look at me differently. I think if we break that mentality where we care about each other enough to hold each other up like that, maybe it'll rub off on others. If not, at least we can do is have a good, solid black community. At least we can have a black community that holds each other accountable. At least we can have a black community that is united and, and together. Because right now we're, we're broken up in a lot of places. Broken up at a lot of, lot of key... Broken up at a lot of key cornerstones. Where we should be together. Where we should be a foundation. Where we should be strong together. And it's broken up. It's fragile. So it... it, it, it so it leaves room for other people to come in and disrupt the entire build because we're fragile in certain areas. So my cry to the help is also to the black community. Let us get better. Let us get stronger. Let us get wiser with our actions. Let us ignore the street mentality and let's really build each other up. You know, we look at some of these neighborhoods that are getting, you know, gentrified and white people are coming in and buying up all these key real estates and key homes that belong to black people that belong in these black neighborhoods. They're getting bought up and sold and black people are getting driven out. People who have lived somewhere for, you know, 20, 30 years now are getting kicked out and pushed out because white people are coming in and buying all the neighborhoods. You know, this isn't against white people, of course. This isn't what my message is. But my message is that let's keep these black communities black, but let's build them up. Let's make them better. Let's buy these properties. Let's stop worrying about trying to outdo our brother by looking better with better clothing, better jewelry, better cars. You know, let's let's learn how to invest in properties and build up these black neighborhoods. Let's build up these black productions. Let's fuel the black economy. Let's have more barbershops, more businesses, more hair stores, more banks. More lawyers in the black community. Let's do that. Black-owned grocery stores. I don't think there's a black-owned grocery store in my city or my county. 20, 30, 40 years ago, there was black grocery stores, black corner stores. We don't have that now. I want, I want that to come back. You know, I know that's, you know, that's like that in other cities, but my point is, in these smaller cities, I would love to see that. 20 years from now, I can go to my son and be like, yeah, that's your uncle's grocery store. I can go to my daughter and say, yeah, that's your, that's your cousin's salon. She owns that. That's hers. We can fuel black economy. We can fuel black business. You know, black Wall Street was powerful. It was so powerful that it was destroyed, wiped off the map. That's why you don't learn about black Wall Street 
in school. You, you, I didn't learn about it. Most people didn't learn about it. We had to learn about it after school. We had to learn about it on our own. Or somebody had to teach us. But the issue is Black Wall Street was successful. Why? Because black people were holding each other up, holding each other accountable. They were oppressed for so long. So they came together and said, I'm not your enemy. I'm your brother. You look like me. I look like you. We have the same history. We're going to build each other up. And Black Wall Street flourished. It was successful. Better than regular Wall Street. So in, in fact, Regular Wall Street should simply be referred to as White Wall Street, while Black Wall Street was Wall Street. It was successful. It was perfect. But it was destroyed. It was bombed. It was burned down, wiped off the map because of its success. Now, I believe in 2020, we have the tools, we have the technology, we have the wisdom, we have the knowledge, we have the connections and the resources to truly come together as a society and build up the black economy. You have a black business. That's great. You have a black vision. That's great. You have a black business dream and, and, and an idea. Let's use that. Let's come together. Let's build each other up so no one else can tear us down. Let's set the foundation now so nothing can come in and blow us over. We can do it. I believe in it. I, I strive for it. I, I, I yearn and I, and I long for the day where I can look back when I'm 50, when I'm 60, and just look back and be happy and, and, and satisfied and content with what I've accomplished and that I can leave behind in my children. We want to be successful long term. Build something today that you can leave for your children. Build something today that your children can be proud of. Build something today that when you pass on and when you go into that great beyond, your children have something physical that they can hold on to to say, my father built this. My mother built this that no one can take away from you. Once you own something, no one can take that away from you. Once you own a dream, once you own an idea, no matter what happens, they can damage it. They can try to break it down, but they can never destroy it. You know, I, I, I was a big um, there was a cartoon growing up. Uh, it was a cartoon movie called My Friend Martin or Our Friend, Our Friend Martin. It's a cartoon about Martin Luther King Jr. And um, I watched that movie at a, at a church when I was eight years old. And um, it, it, it set something in me because, you know, my mother was a white woman. You know, for those for those who don't know, my mother was a white woman and um, she loved, you know, everything black, not as like a, a fetish way as some you know white women do today. But she celebrated black lives. She not once pretended to be black. She didn't have a, a ghetto slang that wasn't naturally her tongue. She didn't live life, you know, as you know, as if she was a black woman. She lived life as a white woman. But she appreciated black culture. She taught me to appreciate black culture. I was six, seven years old, and she took me to a black church. She was the only white person there. It used to be so funny, you know, because they had Sunday school back at this church. It was uh, it's called St. John's Baptist. It's still in Fort Myers. And uh, I, I remember we used to do, um, like I say, we used to do Sunday school for the kids. And um, we would go in this little back room or whatnot. And then, like, I guess during regular service, we were in the main service. We were doing, like, children's service. And I remember walking out, you know, and everybody was looking for their parents. You know, it's like the end of service. The pastor's wrapping up. So you see all the parents out there and everybody's like looking for their mom and dad. But it was so easy for me to find my mom because in the sea of black faces, she was the only white woman. And it was with with moose in her hair to keep her hair curled because she didn't like her straight hair. And uh, it, was, it was just funny. But I say all that because uh, because of that very church was where I watched this our friend Martin. And it, it set something on fire in me, even at a young age, where I was so curious about this man named Dr. King that I'm watching in this new little cartoon movie. I was so curious about who this man was that even in my youth, I was young. I'm young. I'm second, third grade. You know, I'm a, I'm a young boy. 
I decide I'm going to research him. I'm going to read books about him. I go to the library and look up Martin Luther King books. And I don't think Google was a thing yet. You know, again, I think it was like Ask Jeeves and some weird junk that you had to do. And it was weird. You know, back then before the Internet came, life and research was was hard. It was hard. So but eventually I got enough information on Dr. King. And through my studies and my research, I found out that, you know, King spoke all throughout you know the South, you know, in different cities and different counties and different states. He spoke and Usually where he would go and speak, these places and businesses and churches would get burned down shortly after. You know, the, the, the people who were against his message would burn and destroy the buildings that hosted his speeches. But what I've noticed and what I learned and what I carry with me in my mind today, that although the businesses were destroyed, the churches were destroyed, the homes were burned down, you know, there was obstacles put in their ways. The people who walked with King did not stop their mission. Their, their focus did not weary. Their, their drive didn't stop. Did it, was it unfortunate that they lost something? Yes, but they did not let it keep them from the mission at hand. They rebuilt those churches. They rebuilt those businesses. Their homes were rebuilt. Their lives were rebuilt. And they kept marching forward, making sure that the message was preached, making sure that equality was brought up in front of every single one of them. They kept pushing on. And that's my point today. They can try to destroy whatever dream that you're trying to build. They can throw fire on it. They can throw dirt on it. They can do whatever they they can try to do. But I'm telling you, if you keep your dream and your vision and your focus close to your heart and don't let it die out and raise up together, if we come together and support each other's visions, support each other's dreams, we can be unstoppable. They only can attack us whenever we're fragile. But if our numbers and our focus and our strength is more and greater than them, they cannot stop us. They can't. Black men will not be murdered senselessly. Black women will not be raped and murdered. Black children will not be oppressed as long as we can keep ourselves together, support one another, bring one another up, praise one another, love one another, be one another's confidant. That way no one can break that. It's such a powerful thing. That's why I preach what I preach. That's why I push what I push, because I, I'm passionate about it. I'm passionate about, you know, these lives that are being taken young, you know, these Black men and women who are in their teens, their 20s or 30s or 40s, early 50s, that have so much life still to live and are being treated like this. When I see and I watch videos of other races of people doing the exact same actions, if not worse, and are being able to go home to their families. I watched a video of a, of a white man walking down the street with like a bazooka. And you see so many people, they're like, well, that's his American right. It's his God-given right. You know, we have the right to bear arms. But if a black man is walking down the street carrying a gun, carrying a rifle, carrying a pistol, he's immediately painted as, as, a, as a criminal, as something's wrong. You know, people are immediately afraid and immediately think he's up to no good. Cops are called. Guns are drawn. That's the narrative of America, where if a white man does it, it's his God-given right. He's bearing arms. He's keeping the Constitution intact. But if a black man does it, He's going he's going to be shot and killed. He's going to be have the cops called on him. You know, that, that's an issue. It's staring us in our face and yet we just ignore it. You know, some of us are bringing light to it. But as a country, it's just ignored where if a white man poses on Facebook with 17 rifles and a couple pistols and three shotguns hanging over his fireplace, he's patriotic. But if a black man poses a picture with a, a rifle or a pistol, he's labeled as a thug or a gangster, you know, something of that mentality. And it's, you know, it's the same picture, right? It's the same thing. Man with gun posting picture. But the narrative is always different. 
you know, and I know some white people who've had guns, like guns, dude. I worked with this guy, worked at him at a at an automotive shop, which again, won't say the name until they pay for sponsorship, but I worked in the shop. And this man all the time is talking about the different guns he had and showing us pictures of this gun and what this gun does and what that gun does and the benefit of this gun. And he's like, yeah, that one gun in Call of Duty, I own that. And I'm like, man, okay, cool. I'm like, what kind of, I've asked him, what kind of hunting do you do? Oh, we don't really hunt. We don't, he's like, I haven't been hunting since I was a little boy in Wisconsin. So that narrative, well, we use guns to hunt. I know people who collect guns and have over 20 guns and don't hunt. So don't give me that, oh, well, if he's posing pictures like that, it's because he's a hunter. That's not always true at all. So I don't understand why there's love and patriotism for one and hate and discrimination for another. All this ends, all this hatred, all this bigotry ends when we can honestly just look at each other as equal. I'm just, I'm tired, man. I'm, I'm tired of the rest in peace hashtags. I'm tired of seeing black men's names of and that, that turn into hashtags. I'm tired of seeing black women's names trending for the negative reasons. I'm tired of growing up in this in this this country, this society where, you know, I just feel like my people are hunted. You know, I, I feel like no matter what we do, we're gonna have that target. I, I don't want my children to grow up in a country like that. I don't want my son and my daughter growing up with the same fears in my mind that if I get pulled over for a taillight or a suspended license or, you know, anything, if I get pulled over for the smallest things that I might not be able to make it home. I don't want my son having that thought. I don't want my daughter having that thought. I don't want my grandkids growing up in that world. I, I don't want that world to exist anymore. I want a world that's peaceful. I want a world where a black man can succeed. I've seen a black man be president and yet black people are still being persecuted. As a child, I've always thought, man, once the black man is president and all that'll be over with, you know, but no, that's not the case. We have a, we went from a black president to a bigot president like that in one, one election, one election. We went from this president who was, you know, I wouldn't say he's the best president, but in hindsight, he's a lot better than what we got right now. But we go from him to this dude who is a rapist, who's a bigot, who literally gropes and molests women and his supporters are so devout on supporting him that no matter what he says or does, they they have his support or he has their support. That's ignorance. It's one thing that America, I would say, is really bad at is admitting when we're wrong. I was against Barack Obama for a very long time. And I will admit that there are some policies he did, some things he did that, you know, I'm cool with. I think he did all right. You know, in hindsight, you know, I can admit I was wrong about some things. At one point in my life, I thought if we wanted to eliminate racial tension, we should eliminate historically black colleges. I, I was under the impression that maybe if, you know, there wasn't anything like that, then we'd be fine. I can wholeheartedly admit that was a bad mistake. That was a big mistake. I should never have thought that. I no longer agree with that. I almost wish 50% of all colleges were historically black colleges. But again, I can admit when I was wrong. The problem with America is we don't like to admit when we're wrong. You know, a lot of people voted for Trump thinking he was going to fix this country and be great. And they still support him because they can't see that they were wrong. They can't see that this guy was a bad pick. 
him and Hillary were not great candidates. So you got the lesser of two evils. But I, I, I respect there's this man. I won't say his name because if I say his name and people know him, they'll get upset and then they'll get upset at me. So long story short, there's this man I know who I respect in my day to day personal life who voted for Trump. And he's admitted that, you know, he's voted for Trump. And um, he's also admitted that, you know, he kind of regrets doing that because there's a lot of things that Trump does now that he wish he wouldn't have done. And, you know, he admits that that was a bad pick. I think if America can just admit that we're wrong sometimes as a people, learn how to admit that, hey, yep, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I don't agree with that. I no longer support that thinking that I used to have. That's okay. If you do that, it's great. That's growth. That's a beautiful thing. Your opinion and, and, and your beliefs are allowed to change. No one's holding you to what you used to believe and what you used to think. No one's going to think that or no, no one's going to hold you to that for the rest of your life. If you grow and you change, fine. That's good. That's great. That's progress. That's what we need. So to leave you today, I think some things we need to all focus on. First of all, if you are a non-black person and you see a black person functioning in society, walking down the street, barbecuing, grilling at the beach, having a good time, living their life, do me a favor and mind your business. If they are not causing you any harm, if they are not threatening your livelihood, if they are not doing something that is stressing you out intentionally, leave it alone. Honestly, so much would be perfect in this world if you just minded your own business. If I want to barbecue at a beach, and I'm allowed to barbecue at this beach, and I'm not bothering you, there's no need for you to get cops involved. There's no need for you to get involved. There's no need for you to say anything to me but a hi, hello, and a bye. There's no reason for you to get involved with any of my actions. If you see a black woman jogging, running, doing something in a neighborhood, there's no reason for you to get involved with her. You see black children selling bottles of water, lemonades on the street corner, in a community, selling things, trying to like raise some money, selling candy. There's no need for you to ask for permits and call the cops and see if this is right. Leave it alone, not bothering you, not doing nothing bad. They're selling candy and sweets and water. Leave them alone. Let them prosper. You see a black man running in the neighborhood. I don't care if the black man is running in some some ones, some denim jabos, a hoodie. I don't care what he's wearing. He's not bothering you. He doesn't look like he's bothering anybody. He's just running. He might not be dressed for the occasion, but if he's just doing his own thing, minding his own business, do me a favor. Touch your nose and continue about your day. That right there will solve so many other issues. Now, for my black people, let's support each other. Let's raise each other up. Let's fuel each other. Let's come together. Let's be those bonds that are tight that cannot be broken. You see a brother that's in fault? Let's raise him up. Let's take him up. Let's leave this street mentality aside. You know an injustice? You speak on an injustice. That's how we build the black community up. That's how we get solid. That's how we get straight. Because once we're solid, once we're rock solid, can't nobody break that. Can't nobody ruin that. Can't nobody stop that. That's why they killed King. But his dream can still keep going if we just stay together. So love somebody. This week, love someone. If you're beefing with somebody, if you got some odds, some anger, some hatred against somebody, family member, friend, co-worker, ex, whatever it is, man, squash that. Honestly, it's 2020, and if you look around with this pandemic, people are dropping like flies. There's some crazy, crazy junk going on. I don't trust the government. There's some stuff going on out there. You never know when your last day will be. Honestly, there's some people that have done me wrong. There's some people I've done them wrong. If you're listening to this, I apologize for anything I've done to upset you. I pray we all can be together, united, in unison, as one people, one body, raising up each other. It's a beautiful thing when you're in unity, man. I'm telling you. It's a beautiful thing when you got someone holding you up. It's a beautiful thing when you're holding somebody else up. For all my listeners out there, man, let's just grow. Let's let's make this week, this upcoming week, the best week we've done. Let's let's uh, let's spew good energy and let's put out this week what we want to get in return. You want to receive blessings. You want to receive love. You want to receive warmth. Put that out there so it can come back tenfold. So this week's gonna be interesting. 
Um, I have a, once this episode airs, I'll be instantly working on my second episode or my third episode. Actually, wow, this is my second episode. Let me take a little uh, moment to say thank you to everybody who actually joined in and listened to my first episode. I got a lot of good feedback. Um, this episode started a little more serious because, you know, it's something that was, of course, pressing on my heart. So I didn't want to break it up and do two different topics, but I got a more lighthearted topic coming up um, in the next couple days. Um, but I really do thank you for everybody who listened to my first episode, man. It was it's really a blessing to see some of the feedback I get, some of the people who were sharing it, some people who reached out, some people I don't even know who heard it and reached out to me. I appreciate you for that. Um, so like I say, we got a more lighthearted episode coming up as soon as episode two, which is this episode. Man, I made it. Whew, Jesus, the pressure's off. I'm here now. We in here. Um, and now that the pressure's off, uh, episode three is going to be coming up. Um, so yeah, when you hear this episode, like, share, subscribe. Make sure you hit me up again on Twitter at Ray Herring underscore. If you got a message or anything you want to send directly to the podcast, you can see me on Gmail. Um, email me at a red herring podcast at gmail.com. And uh, I'm a man of the people, a voice for the people. Anything you guys want to know, talk about, discuss, I'm open. I'm always down for a stimulating conversation. So yeah, be love, be great, be all that, be all of the above, be blessed this week. And I will talk to you the next time you see me. Red out. <laughs>